Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, July 24th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, hear from Senator Roger Wicker on improving the state's Internet infrastructure for emergency officials and rural residents. In our everyday tech segment, online conferencing and using online video to stay connected. And the state's mental health agency is hoping fewer Mississippians will attempt suicide. Find out how their prevention plan is faring across the state. If he had have come back in the house to me, I would have helped him and then I would have carried him to get help again. Believe me, in a heartbeat, I would have him somewhere so that we could still be sitting here eating dinner today. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. More Mississippians will gain access to high-speed Internet if a Senate bill is passed. Senator Roger Wicker and a bipartisan group of senators from across the country are behind the Rural Wireless Act of 2017. Introduced earlier this year, the legislation would require the Federal Communications Commission to collect broadband coverage data and make way for technology to expand to the most remote parts of rural America. Providing access to Mississippi's rural communities could help close the digital divide and boost local economies. It would also improve disaster recovery and health care delivery. Senator Wicker says the nationwide public safety network aimed at helping emergency responders communicate more effectively, but it needs a reliable infrastructure. When a disaster hits, first responders go to work. When 9-11 occurred in 2001, the first responders were absolutely vital in saving lives. When Katrina happened to our state and to the entire Gulf Coast, the first responders were absolutely essential in being the first step in getting us back where we needed to be. They couldn't talk to each other. They didn't have the capability and the equipment and uh, the, the communications networks to communicate adequately, and that was a grave problem in saving lives and in racing against the clock. So um, in response to that, the Congress developed what we call FirstNet. Five years ago, we added that to one of the must-pass bills, and it provided for a nationwide interoperable broadband network for public safety. The bill that I've introduced with Senator Manchin is designed to make sure as we build out the nationwide interoperable network that we bridge the digital divide between urban and rural America. We make sure that uh, folks in small communities and rural communities and rural counties like we have in Mississippi are able to be part of this. And an essential part of that is finding out where the gaps really, really are. And that involves the data collection. So the bill that Senator Manchin has co-sponsored with me would require the FCC to establish a consistent methodology for collecting data about underserved areas and help us do a better job of getting the information to the FirstNet folks that are developing this nationwide network. Now, you also support telehealth as a reason to expand broadband into rural areas? 
Oh, there's no question about it. And, and the good news and the proud news for us in Mississippi is that by necessity, we've actually become a leader in this, in a test case. We had some excellent testimony from Dr. Damon Darcy of the University of Mississippi Medical Center before the Commerce Subcommittee. And he noted the development in Mississippi of the wireless information network. This connects local, state, and federal teams. But we've gotten very, very good, and, and uh, we're about to even become even more of a pioneer when our so-called DTOP program is fully unleashed. And we'll be able actually to put the best physicians in the land right there virtually in the ambulances and in the first responder vehicles to start treating people even before they arrive at the hospital. We're already doing this in, in rural parts of the Delta, and we have test case where with diabetes in Sunflower County, we have virtually eliminated emergency room visits with uh, chronic diabetes patients by treating them remotely and making sure that they have a tablet to monitor their condition on a regular basis. And we've made life much better for these test case folks and, and save money for the taxpayers at the same time. So we've demonstrated that we could be a leader in this in Mississippi. Has it been determined, though, the area where it's most needed? Well, that was part of the discussion. FirstNet, the government agency, has um, selected a private industry partner, and that is AT&T. And AT&T says they are connected with some uh, 99% of Americans. And so it's going to be pretty widely connected, no question about it. The problem that we're exploring is the rural areas where emergencies happen, and maybe maybe a lot of Americans don't live there, but they might be traveling there, or they might be expanded, and so we do need to build that out also. But we were given a pretty positive answer by FirstNet and AT&T about the coverage that's available as we begin to roll this out, and, and we're going to see and make sure that indeed the dream and the goal is set out in the statute, it actually comes to fruition. If not, we'll take the necessary response. Senator Wicker says the initial deployment of FirstNet will cost $7 billion in taxpayer funds and amount to $40 billion by AT&T. The company announced its coverage to 15 Mississippi counties aimed at rural residents earlier this month. It's a move that Dr. Roberto Gallardo supports. The professor at Mississippi State University is sharing his research findings on Internet expansion. He tells us Mississippi has the lowest broadband in the nation. About 34% of the population in the state does not have access to a fixed broadband of 25 megs down and 3 megs up, which is the latest definition of broadband by the FCC. Mississippi is a very rural state. Does that play an influence on this? Definitely. You know, broadband is, is highly sensitive to density. And, of course, the less houses you have, the more expensive it becomes. And so that is definitely part of the reason why I think uh, Mississippi is, is lagging in broadband access. The digital divide consists of access and adoption. So another big thing we've got to talk about, Karen, is broadband adoption. And adoption is impacted by certain socioeconomic characteristics, such as income or educational attainment or age. And the adoption side of that doesn't help as well overall in Mississippi. What is the expense to actually get broadband into some of these rural areas? It depends on the technology, Karen. Um, you could use fixed wireless to beam it out there. You could use satellite. Uh, you can use 
you know, DSL or cable. The king of them all is fiber optics. It's the desired option because it has a huge bandwidth or speed capability, but it's somewhat expensive to roll out and connect every single home in Mississippi with fiber optics. It requires laying a line underground to each of those homes? It could require that, or it could use uh, telephone or or existing electricity poles to run it. Um, There are multiple ways to do that. How and what are the benefits to get access, and how do they outweigh the costs? You know, the digital age is in full swing, uh, Karen, and um, those that are on the wrong side of the divide are being left further and further behind. Uh, Now it's very rare that you can apply for a job the old way. Uh, More than likely, they'll ask you to go to a website, and if your uh, connection is buffering um, or you cannot get online, then, of course, you're, you're out of that option. That's, you know, gain skills, access to vast amounts of information, um, and there are some applications, Karen, that are about to uh, hit a mainstream within the next two to five years, I think, such as telework and telehealth. And so you do not want to be on a DSL connection when that happens. So the benefits are subjective in a way right now, but, you know, Ohio State University found that on average, a household per year gains or benefits about $1,800 due to a broadband subscription. So when you do the math and you calculate the number of households that currently do not have fixed broadband for 25.3, and I'm clarifying, Karen, because there is mobile wireless, which is the smartphones, and that helps, obviously. Many, many people have that as their only Internet use. But, of course, if you add data plans, they become quite pricey, and it's not the same to fill out a job application on your computer than to do it on your mobile phone. Dr. Guiardo, I found it interesting you said that the study revealed $1,800 represents the benefit to a home with Internet access. Can you tell us some of the some of the ways that make up that $1,800? Definitely. Uh, you know, coupons, online coupons. You're better uh, able to compare prices online and, and save money on the shopping side of things, it kind of hits into the ability to gain new skills as well with all the online resources that now exist and also just access to vast amounts of information that can improve your quality of life. And when you look at it, um, Karen, is not a lot. It's a very conservative estimate. Do we need state commitment? Do we need legislative commitment to provide funding for this? It will require multiple levels of cooperation. It is a very complex issue that nobody can do it alone. Federal money, of course, is welcome. They will have to step in, and local will have to step in, and carriers will have to step in, and co-ops will have to step in. I welcome that. I applaud Senator Wicker's efforts and, and the fact that it is on his radar. Mississippi is falling behind on access and adoption. And I think that part of that is because people don't have access or cannot afford it, but also because they don't understand the the benefits of the technology and and they don't maximize the technology to really, really push it to reach that 1,800 amount. We need to continue to work, Karen, to increase awareness of such a critical, critical issue. Dr. Roberto Gallardo is an associate extension professor in the Center for Technology Outreach at Mississippi State University. Dr. Gallardo, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Karen. To access Dr. Gallardo's study on broadband in Mississippi, go to extension.msstate.org.
edu. Be sure to join us tomorrow for more on the digital divide and improving digital literacy in Mississippi. Coming up, the State Department of Mental Health's prevention plan to reduce suicide rates. That's after Everyday Tech. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Join us for the next Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey as we discuss natural talent. Plus, we'll sit down with Claire Holly, an American folk singer-songwriter from Mississippi, as she chats about her music, her family, and how to balance it all. That's on the next Now You're Talking with Marsha Ramsey today at 10 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Kevin Farrell with Wilts Cotrere. Today we're going to be talking about online conferencing and using online video. All right, Wilts, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about online conferencing and using video online this morning. So what are some of the more popular online uh, conferencing programs that are out there? Well, you know, one that I end up uh, utilizing quite a bit, especially with my kids and family and everything else, is FaceTime, you know, kind of built into my iPhone there. And I know there's some Android equivalents to that as well. Uh, But just a really, really simple way that, you know, for example, I've used to connect me to my daughter to help do homework even, you know, adding that visual aspect in there because, I don't know, I can't do math in my head too well, so she's got (laughs) to show me the problem so I can figure this out. Uh, really has came into play. A couple of other ones folks have probably heard of, Skype. Uh, Skype has gotten real, real popular. Absolutely free program to use. A lot of businesses use it as well as personal use it. I mean, for that matter, I turn on my Xbox at the house, and Skype is even built in there. So that's around there. We can't leave out Google Hangouts. Google's got their own kind of version for it out there, along with a whole bunch of big, you know, bigger company-type ones like your WebExes and GoToMeetings and things like that. Um, I hate to date myself, but uh, does anyone remember NetMeeting? Oh, Lord, I do remember NetMeeting. <laughs> I guess I'm right in there with you, Kevin. But, yeah, they have come a long way, and I think you're right. To the, you know, a lot of useful purposes for Skype. Uh, I know that I participated in the hiring round here recently at MPB, and we did some of the interviews uh, on Skype. And so it's useful there. And I've even heard on network news programs uh, that reporters in distant locations, they sometimes talk to them on Skype. So I guess you can have the video and audio component and also just sort of like an online phone call. Well, exactly. And then what you can also add to a lot of those once you start using a program like Skype is you can even add more of like a whiteboarding kind of technology to where you can actually sit there and work over some things. Because like you, we've done the interviewing process through it as well. Uh, I've conducted classes through it at times. So so much more that can be gathered out of just using those programs. And also, um, I think, uh, as you mentioned, uh, chatting with your daughter to, to help with her homework or just keeping track of friends. You know, emails are great and phone calls are good, but there adds something, I think, when you can see the person and, you know, maybe you could, if uh, your friend just moved into a new apartment or new to a location, they can, you know, give you a, a virtual tour of their home, that sorts of thing. So the FaceTime and the ones on our phone are especially good for keeping up with uh, long-distance friends. Well, exactly. It's allowed me to reconnect with some former Navy buddies that I used to be stationed with. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for or actually seeing those expressions on people's faces. I don't know how many times I've heard of people, myself included, you know, maybe you send a, uh, a note, a quick text or something to someone, and your true emotion out of it might not come through. Maybe you were trying to be funny, but it came through not quite looking funny. And if they could have seen your smiling face, it would have made all the difference in the world. Right, honey? 
<laughs> That's right. The, the smiley emoji has certainly helped me out in, in emailing to let someone know I'm joking around. But yes. if it were face-to-face, they'd be able to see that I was just uh, making a joke. Uh, one thing I guess that we always need to be concerned about when we're using things on our mobile phones is the idea of data usage. How do these programs fit in there? Now, when you start running video apps, it will definitely eat your data up. So that is something to really consider is that if you're not near a Wi-Fi at the moment, say you're on your phone using that, you are going to see your data usage get consumed a lot quicker. If you're going to have a long conversation or if you're like me, you just kind of ramble on quite a bit, you're going to probably want to seek out some Wi-Fi to get onto so you're not eating that up and costing yourself too much money. We also mentioned the idea of using video online or using online video, and I think a great resource for that that maybe is tuned into something that wasn't really intended to when it started out is YouTube. Oh, my Lord, yes. YouTube has helped me to accomplish more DIY projects than I can imagine. Between figuring how to do something, I'm, I'm a visual learner. I like to be able to see it, and I can read a lot of things in a book, and I can pick up some, but really, I'm, I'm kind of a show-me person in that regard. So there's been, I had to do some work on the ignition in my car one time, and I pulled the laptop onto a TV tray out into the garage and went through someone else going through it. We'll talk more about online conferencing on Everyday Tech, the show, that comes on Wednesday morning at 10. You can always send us an email. It's everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Wilts Cotrere, I'm Kevin Farrell. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The State Department of Mental Health is reviewing progress after its first fiscal year implementation of its suicide prevention plan. According to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, each suicide death in Mississippi costs more than $1 million in medical and other expenses. With rates affecting people of all ages, races, and genders, some hope the plan will create open conversation about addressing mental illness. Wendy Bailey is Director of Outreach, Planning, and Development at the Department of Mental Health. She tells MPB's Alexis Ware suicide rates are particularly high for young adults. Currently for Mississippi, suicide is the third leading cause of death for young adults. And it's the 12th leading cause of death overall in the state. But for young adults, it's the third leading cause of death. For individuals 25 to 34 years of age, it's the fourth leading cause of death. For people 35 to 44 years of age, it's the fifth leading cause of death. And for people 45 to 54, it's the eighth leading cause of death. So it's definitely a problem in the state of Mississippi and in the United States. What has been the result of the suicide prevention plan within its first year? During FY17, we did 258 presentations, making Mississippians aware about suicide prevention. And we reached 10,000, over 10,500 people. We also did suicide prevention trainings for law enforcement. For people who care for older adults, we did presentations for about 11,000 students in the state um, through schools with our Shatter the Silence campaign. We've also started working with the Mississippi Hospital Association on increasing some awareness in 
emergency rooms and hospitals across the state about suicide prevention. It's really important for Mississippians to know the risk factors and the warning signs, but then also what to do if you have a loved one or a friend or a family member who is having those faults, what to do. What role does legislators play in Mississippi in helping to prevent suicide? There was legislation passed in 2009 that required school professionals have suicide prevention training. And then just this past year, House Bill 263 was passed just in 2017. And that piece of legislation had several components. It is going to require that all school staff counselors, school nurses, teachers, anyone who's working in the school is going to be required to have suicide prevention training. And then during the 2017-2018 school year, all schools will be required to participate in this training and all school districts have to adopt a, a policy on suicide prevention. And anything that the Department of Mental Health can do and any awareness that we can bring to the schools, we believe will help the state. Wendy Bailey is with the Mississippi Department of Mental Health. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. Pam Smith is a board member with the Mississippi chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Her 17-year-old son, William, took his own life in 2015. She tells MPB's Alexis Ware an important way to prevent suicide is to ensure families have affordable access to mental health care. My son was depressed most of his life, and we had problems with his dad. I went and got him assistance at, like, Parkwood um, at school, and I'm, like, begging for assistance because I said my child is depressed, and... We went through several different things, and I finally got him on some medicine, and everything was going great, but he had a girlfriend who called him, and she broke up with him over the phone, and it made him go into another world, and his last statement was, the ropes around my neck, I'll see you in hell. And instead of her calling anybody, she didn't call a soul. My son hung himself out in the treehouse that day, and I did not know that until the next morning. When I went up to his upstairs bedrooms and he wasn't there, I had called the sheriff because I thought he had run away. And we went up into the treehouse and I found him up there. That's something that I'll never get out of my mind. Never. What do you think could have helped your son more before he decided to take his life? I wish that he had have come straight back in the house to me, you know, and said she broke up with me and let me help him, let me talk him through it. We had a service at home. And his friends got up, and two or three of them lost it because they said that he had stopped them from committing suicide previously. And they, they just could not understand why he did not pick up the phone and call one of his best friends. I'm his mommy, and I'm wondering why did he not come in and talk to me in the house instead of doing that. And that's the confusion that I have. I've talked to counselors, and I've talked to my preacher because I told him, I said, I just feel like if he had have come back in the house to me, I would have helped him, and then I would have carried him to get help. Again, believe me, in a heartbeat, I would have him somewhere so that we could still be sitting here eating dinner today, you know. What do you wish that you knew before that maybe a plan like this could have told you? I wish I had have gone to a program. And, you know, it's almost like I want to tell everybody, go out and get some type of counseling, some type of education. You don't ever think that's going to happen to you. But some people, they just don't realize they're not going to know how to recognize that if a child is really depressed, what to do. How important is it to discuss mental illness? Very important because suicide or deciding to leave this world is a mental illness. One of my things are 
when a mom or dad shows up with a child that's depressed, the insurance and everybody needs to learn to help assist and help these children or people. And if they need assistance, that needs to be looked at as insurance. Our major fear is, you know, when the president changes all of this insurance, that he's going to take the mental health off, and that's going to be really, really bad for anybody who has a major depression, especially for our military personnel. I mean, they need that very bad when they come home. Pam Smith, thank you so much for speaking with me. You're welcome. Anyone needing assistance can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. A public symposium is planned for September 19th at the Jackson Medical Mall. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Deep South Dining. At 10 o'clock, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show today, you can find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring Trustmark Deposit Express, ATMs for business and personal banking. No deposit slips, no envelopes, no waiting. Most deposits made by 9 p.m. weekdays are credited that day. Details at Trustmark.com, member FDIC.